You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would both like to welcome you to our show. Hey, Alex, good morning. Yes, good morning to you and good morning to our listeners. It is such a beautiful day outside today. It really is. Um, and as I've said probably a few times now, when we do these intro recordings, it's uh, we seem to go around about the same sort of things. And COVID's always been on the, the radar with us, but it's just been such beautiful weather um, for the last year and a bit. We really have been lucky that since we've been at home, most of it, um, the weather has been great. And I just look out my window today, it's just beautiful, just really nice. Um, anyways, Today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook, all three locations, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Um, And email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if there's anything that you would like to contact us directly about. You can also subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, most of your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcast replays on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. One of the benefits I have of seeking out guests and having guests come to me and recommend to me is I find um, I learn. I learn so much. And today is a show for me about learning about um, two rare diseases that I had never heard of until Sandy Smink came into my space. Um, And for those of you who do suffer from these uh, two syndromes we're focusing on, which is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome's EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorders, uh, they are orders of of pain, chronic pain. And um, as I said, this is something that I, I have just learned about, and I hope you will find it to be a very interesting show. And for those of you who suffer from these diseases, hopefully um, we will be able to introduce you to somebody who uh, we will introduce you to somebody that maybe you can use as a resource. Uh, our guest today is Sandy Smink, and she is the co-founder and executive director of the ILC Charitable Foundation. Uh, The ILC is an abbreviation for improving the lives of children, touching children of all ages and throughout adult life. We'll talk about, uh, Sandy and I talk about how um, this this, uh, organization has grown and why it is now going beyond children and touching uh, people through their adult life. And Sandy has worked with and led teams of people on the development programs to improve the lives of individuals living with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS, Um, hypermobility spectrum disorders and related disorders of chronic pain. Sandy is a member of the Patient Engagement Committee with the CIHR funded Chronic Pain Network, is a member of the Chronic Pain Care Forum, whose aim is to support 
the development of a national pain strategy and is recognized by patient commando as a Canadian woman changing healthcare. A wonderful, wonderful woman. I'm so, I'm so glad, glad that uh, I was introduced to her. We'll be talking about a lot of things today, uh, including uh, who the ILC Charitable Foundation serves. Why are people with EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorders and related disorders and chronic of chronic pain? Why are these people so underserved in our healthcare system? And what are some fundamental programs that are offered by the ILC as a resource for people looking for more information? Um, an important show and one that, um, again, may be a very new topic for a lot of us. So I hope you stick with us and we'll be back in a few minutes to talk with Sandy.
have the strength to rise. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, this show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we'd love for you to follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having having me here today. Well, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting topic, and again, it's something. Yeah, there are just so many um, chronic diseases out there. You know, we, some are in the spotlight and some are not in the spotlight. And you're really working very hard to bring some of these diseases within the chronic pain spectrum to light. Um, and before we get into really discussing these diseases, what they are, uh, how many, you know, the, the percentage of people have this. Um, are you somebody that suffers with chronic pain? Is that why you have become involved with the ILC Foundation? Yeah, no. So um, I became involved with, so first of all, the ILC existed. We were incorporated in 2010, and we were approached by a family here in Oakville that had a daughter that, at the at the time, a teenage daughter that was living with chronic pain and having a difficult time getting a diagnosis and care. Um, she was, she did get diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and was suffering with extreme chronic pain um, and was really left without any, any support. So the her, her parents, um, so this is Brooklyn Mills, her parents, Rebecca and Chris approached the ILC for support because our acronym is improving the lives of children. And at the time we were, uh, we used to pick a different charity every year and um, highlight and promote the good work that different charities did um, in support of children and youth. Um, But then learned from the mills that there was this gap in care for children and youth and really people of all ages that live with, chronic pain diseases like EDS. So they asked us if we would take on the permanent focus of EDS and chronic pain and which we did. So we, you know, of course, went away and did a environmental scan as a board to find out if this was a worthy cause to support. Um, What we learned at that time was that pain in adults was very poorly understood. It still is today. Um, underserviced and with children and youth um, there just was not sufficient services that supported the understanding of patients living individuals living with these conditions so that's how we so that was my interest in my own personal experience my family does live with a rare disease Um, we have uh, in my family we have hereditary spastic paraplegia um, in males in in my son's case he presents like a person that would have cerebral palsy um, so he walks but for distance walking he uses a wheelchair and he's on you know from a young age he was supported to be the best he could be 
through sports, through school, um, and various activities, and now is on the Paralympic team, Canada, heading to Tokyo, hopefully. Um, Congratulations. Competing in track. So, and then my daughter um, also has, my one daughter has the condition, and she as a rare disease, again, you know, it's in females, it doesn't present the same way. Um, So she doesn't have a difficulty walking the same as same way as her brother. But she lives with pain. And after five years of doing the ILC and focusing on EDS, um, my daughter did get it end up with a diagnosis of having that condition as well which um, has so hypermobile EDS because there's various forms of EDS. And so that was uh, astounding to me, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and I, uh, you know, as a mom, it was very difficult to, I would listen to her explain how she was feeling. And I'm inside my mind's shaking, thinking, oh, please don't make this be, is it possible that she could actually have EDS? So, um yeah, so that's, you know, my personal story around the, you know, why I'm involved and passionate about the cause. I was anyway, and now it's personal as well. It always seems to be, doesn't it? We all have a story that um, puts us into into the space of where we do our most effective work. Now, uh, chronic pain is not unfamiliar, to to many people. Um, We talk about fibromyalgia, things like that. Can you explain to us what Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is, how it it differs um, from more commonly uh, known diseases of chronic pain? And then we'll talk about the hypermobility spectrum as well. Okay. So EDS, there's 13 subtypes um, of of Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. Um, There, it's essentially the connective tissue within our bodies that fails. So there's connective tissue in every part of your body. It's in your tissue, it's in your cells, your bones, tendons, ligaments, um, your eyes. It's just really literally in every aspect of every part of your body. It's the glue, if you will, that binds us together. And so, you know, a good analogy of that would be um, you know, if you look at a structure of a house um, that's built with strong wood, um, and then an EDS house would be the structure with the wood being built with where the wood is all filled with holes and termites and not strong. That gives an, uh, an unsteady structure um, from every aspect. So, for the person with hypermobile EDS, of course, that means that their joints dislocate. Um, they have bleeding disorders. Um, they have, there's vision issues. Uh, just it affects every aspect. GI issues. Um, they'll have the comorbid conditions of dysautonomia, mast cell activation, and allergies. Uh, um, and of course, chronic pain is a very big part of that. So the hypermobility spectrum disorder, 
the the joints are actually the most prevalent um, area in the body that's affected. Is that what the hypermobility is? I'm assuming that you, you I think you quickly mentioned that the joints don't stay aligned properly. Yeah. So um, yes, if your connective tissue is weak, your every joint in your body is can become weak, and not ev- not not every person with that has hypermobile EDS will present in the same way. Some people have um, weak joints in their whole bodies in every area, and other people are just affected in the larger joints like knees, hips, uh, um, finger joints, that kind of thing. Um, so, but it also means that their GI systems can be impacted, which is a huge area because then you're not, if you have dysmotility, mm-hmm. gastrointestinal dysmotility, that then your nutritional health becomes at risk. If you have dysautonomia, so if you have postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, then you're having your you know, the things that we don't are, don't think about, like you go from sitting to standing and your body knows how to regulate your blood flow. So it continues to flow up through your brain and around to your body and, and regulates that sort of like a gyroscope almost, if I, if I can use that analogy. But in the EDS person that has dysautonomia, POTS, um, their blood, they will go from sitting to standing and their blood will pool in their legs and their legs are purple and their top of their body is white and pale. Sandy, so are these childhood diagnoses or can these diseases happen uh, at any time in life? That's such a good question. Um, so it there it, it's hereditary. It can be hereditary. It can also be um, an environmental impact, um, and that means that you know the the parent that has a child born that has children, there can be signs at birth. So things like uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, so and brittle bones that which is what that means um so there are signs of the condition at birth easy bruising um easy bone fractures um hypermobile joints and they are at they can be evident but they're not always recognized which is cha- it brings a whole other challenge. But in the population that, you know, go through their infancy and young childhood life that is, relatively speaking, normal, like they're not impacted by EDS, sometimes if they're, you know, they hit adolescence and in females, with, there's a higher prevalence of EDS in women, um, through through the puberty stages of life there they you can have an onset of conditions that start manifesting 
And then, you know, what compromises that, and when I mentioned before about environmental factors, it's the things like um, when we talk to people, the people who call us and ask for support and we go through, you know, the, the, the second and third level questions of how they have been through their lifespan um, so far, they will say, oh, well, yeah, you know, I had, I had mono or I had um, pneumonia, or I had uh, a strep, and that seemed, or I had an injury, a sports injury. You know, these people are typically high-achieving um, a, a students and, you know, active in sports, and then they'll have an injury, and it triggers a whole onset of conditions. Well, what, Sandy, is then is yeah. the diagnosis of this uh, by symptoms only? Currently, for hypermobile EDS, yes, it's it's a it's a clinical diagnosis. There work there is research being done to try to find that internationally, which is excellent. But currently, it's a it's a clinical diagnosis, and the challenge becomes there is. Um, you know, there's criteria to say how to diagnose, but there still is conjecture that's brought in from the doctors who believe or don't believe that the, this condition even exists, right? So, uh, for instance, I, I, you know, it's worth me explaining the challenge, this in, in the view of a challenge. So, in Canada, if you have symptoms of EDS and you see your family physician who is the person who you know brokers our health care through our lifetime um, your family physician thinks oh geez you know you might have EDS we should send you to genetics and the genetics departments are not accepting patients if there's a if it, if the suspicion is EDS the genetics department says the family physician should be able to manage the condition because it's it's benign, which is not which is not true. So of course, if the patient has concerning um, symptoms that would suggest they might have vascular EDS, for instance, which is life threatening, they would be accepted through to genetics for a diagnosis. But the critical part is if these people are not being looked at. To, to make sure that they get um, a proper evaluation to eliminate or rule out heritable connective tissue disorders like Louis Dietz, where there is care, there is more known about that, and there's um, treatments for it, that patient is not getting access to that. So it's a, it's it's really the criteria. We need to do a better job, or not we, because ILC is not healthcare, but healthcare needs to do a better job at determining how to diagnose, um, uh, what the criteria are for each of the subtypes of EDS and connective tissue disorders. Well, and, and that seems to me, and I'm you know I'm new to understanding this. That it's a short, it's a short-term outlook. Um, you know, somebody who suffers from this disease systemically is going to have issues, uh, and and it may not be apparent now, but it may show up in years to come. 
Um, and then it is a health concern, a very big health concern. It may be life-threatening at that point. Are you finding the frustration that you feel that this is a short-term outlook when people are being turned away? Yes. So, <laughs> and the levels of challenge, the, le- the levels of um, frustration come from uh, through the lifespan. So, you know, and it, we can talk about an example of a young couple having a baby, mother, grandfather, aunt have EDS. Um, the baby is born. The baby is born with a low APGAR, needs chest compressions. Um, nobody's checking to see if any fractures like hairline fractures are happening when they do that. Um, the baby goes home after a few days um, of observation. And then when they go to, when things start to show in the baby that there's something wrong, if the par- the parents can, will go to the hospital to say there's, you know, the baby's crying all the time. Uh, I changed the baby's diaper and they did the startle reflex and I just don't know. And this is new, new parents. So of course, when we're new parents, we're afraid of everything. Mm -hmm. So you go to the hospital and they, you know, they're at risk for losing their baby for being for charges of alleged child abuse. Um, If the baby has unexplained bruises, then they do x-rays and they say, Oh gee, look at you. Your baby has, um, hairline fractures in the rib cage, and they pl- claim that the parents have caused that. And that's, you know, I'm explaining the worst case, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is one of the worst case that make make me, uh, it's, it's not good. And it's obviously come under your uh, umbrella. Somebody's come to you with an issue like this. It's, oh, yeah. um, sorry, Sandy. Yeah. And then, you know, take, go from there to meeting the, the 60, 60 year old woman who lived for 35 years in suffering with pain, being told that it's all in her head and that she's lazy and she just doesn't want to work and, um, is making it all up and she needs psych and it's all anxiety and what's what happened in her lifetime that made this all the pain happen and dismissed to finding out that she has lived her whole life with EDS. She gets a diagnosis, learns that she has um, cervical cranial instability and a tethered cord and there's nobody here in Canada who can help. So she that person ends up having to go to the States and have treatment there and get a improved quality of life so that um, she can continue to function. But that's like a whole lifetime where. A needless it, suffering. It's um, it. The worst part of it is I want to say that in the worst part of it is, is the medical, um, I just have to be honest. The med- it's the medical ab- abuse um, that happens with these patients because they're dismissed, not believed, and they end up having anxiety about just going to a doctor appointment because it's not straightforward. It, they're 
you know, they really are dismissed. It's so challenging. It's very sad. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break here. And I want to continue off that because I want to really focus on what the ILC does to support these people. I think it's important that people know that you're there for them um, if, if they have questions and you're a support team. So quick break now. Everyone will be back and we'll continue our discussion with Sandy.
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Sandy Smink, and we're talking about the ILC uh, Foundation. It's in its 10th year, correct, Sandy? Yeah, well, 11th year now. 11th mm-hmm. year now. Well, that's wonderful. I, I think, you know, you've, you've made a very, uh, a very, you've enlightened us a lot about um, diseases that probably many of us don't know. And for those of you who are impacted with these diseases, who feel that you're at a loss, I want, Sandy, for you to talk about the ILC and how you are there for people that may be struggling. So what is the mandate for the ILC? Right. Okay. So the ILC is a a foundation is a national charity that provides support services for individuals suffering with chronic pain due to EDS and other its related conditions and other forms of heritable connective tissue disorders. The abbreviation ILC is improving the lives of children. And that is with the meaning of children of all ages, including throughout adult life. Um, So as a charity, we are comprised of a board of directors. Uh, We have a dynamic team of volunteers who have both the professional backgrounds and and personal lived experiences that support the expansion of our programs, including research to find cures um, for the population that we serve. How many people would you say come to you within, say, any given year? um, I just want a ballpark of how, how, how vastly... Um, this disease impacts people. Yeah, so EDS affects one in a thousand people in Canada. Mm -hmm. Chronic pain um, affects one in five, which is a huge number. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, for the people who live with the comorbid conditions to EDS, like for those with a connective tissue disorder, conditions like Chiari malformation also affect one in a thousand. Um, so that means that um, in Canada, throughout, you know, where there are thought to be rare conditions like EDS, uh, that is our focus, there's over 38,000 people with that, with EDS. Um, so that's a large number. And, you know, I think that I would be safe to say that you know, obviously we can't reach 38,000 people. We're a very small charity at this point. Um, We've been working diligently to, you know, we've identified a gap. Uh, We've developed programs to address those gaps, to help address rather those gaps and um, have buy-in and support from multiple stakeholders. And, you know, but we need to grow those programs, right? We're small, but, Mighty. What type of programs are you offering? Are you are you are you pairing up patients with clinicians? Are you offering your own type of programs? How is that working? Yeah, so um, we have five, we have to, uh, 
programs that are around advocacy. Um, that includes connections made within healthcare, all levels of government, from the municipal, provincial, and federal levels. And we provide self-advocacy tools for and to help individuals um, follow the paths of care, if you will, through the Ministry of Health that they set out for us, right? So we're basically what we've done is we've pulled all the resources that are that exist through ministries of health and also those that are provided through hospitals and created a package that they could use so that they know that they, you know, here are the tools and we'll support them. Sometimes that means that we provide them a letter of support. Um, if they're going to a physician appointment and they aren't feeling confident that they're going to be heard, we'll provide them with a letter of support to say that their patient is supported by the ILC, um, that, you know, we're, we've been, we'll just talk about that, that um, connection. And so that the doctor, the specialist or therapist understand that the patient is not filled with, it's not an anxiety, uh, all in their head kind of thing. They are supported at the community level. Now, are these people then diagnosed when they're coming to see you already? Sometimes, but sometimes not. So, um, many times people have called, uh, they talk about the chronic pain that they've been living with. They've been on our website and they said, oh, you know, I watched this video from your conference and I think I might have EDS. Can you help me, you know, navigate the healthcare system around this? So that, you know, with our wellness support and resources is a big part of that. And I want to say that this is an exciting program area for us. So for transparency, our wellness support program has been an organic one where people connect with one another for knowledge sharing support through our closed group online platforms. But with COVID impacts, there have been opportunities for us to expand um, what we do. So we have recently expanded this to be more formal through scheduled Zoom calls, call meetings with wellness leaders and the individuals that reach out to us for support. And the exciting part is that we've partnered with McMaster University, the Masters of Occupational Therapy um, program where we have two co-op students working with us currently. Um, these students have had a paradigm shift in listening to um, the patient experience and how the support programs that the ILC provide help to bridge gaps and calm the anxieties, if you will, from you know the the challenges that they faced through healthcare. So, and not receiving health care. Um, I think that one of the huge um, support that you would give people is a sense of sanity that yeah. there is relevancy to symptoms and, and, and pain that they've been having that have maybe been dismissed. And I would think that alone would bring such um, a positive impact in people's lives. Yes, yeah, so that's um, a very, very interesting observation. I'll tell you that we, that when you sit and actively listen 
to the individual tell their story and you respond with empathy you can you can see the veil rising it, it's like they're no longer that they're their stress levels are coming down. They're calm. They're, they're not excited. They're able to talk openly about what their experience has been. Now, one of our other programs is a wellness. We have a difficult day care kit that we are distributing out to five provinces currently um, where physicians are handing out those at the beginning of their appointments with their patients, they're giving the patient the care kit and saying, you know, the ILC Foundation, we're working with them. They've offered us these kits. This is a care package for you for when you have a difficult day um, living with pain and the symptoms that you're experiencing, whether it's uh, either of the conditions of EDS or another heritable connective tissue disorder. That doctor is in that process is validating the patient's experience Mm -hmm. and the patient is feeling validated because Mm -hmm. they get it so our hope is to expand that program um, and be able to provide those kits to family physician offices because they're the ones that are taking care of pain clinics um, and and centers across the country so that's another one of our programs within the wellness support program umbrella. Are you solely based in Canada, Sandy, or do you have a U.S. affiliate? Um, or other are, countries for that matter. Yeah, so we are Canadian. Um, we are attached to the Ellers Danlos Society, which is in, is the international um, Ellers Danlos charity. And we are an affiliate member with them. And uh, so, which is great. Uh, I'm myself and Nicoletta Warnowski, who is our health resources consultant, um, participate on the Allied Health Working Group um, international group, where it's a consortium of specialists in each of those different disciplines within the under the Allied Health umbrella. Um, work to bring together evidence-based information for EDS patients and have uh, be able to publish papers uh, and resource tools that can be distributed out to each of our own countries uh, in the connections that we have with healthcare providers. Well, in Canada, are there many uh, people who treat this? Are you finding that you are having to send people to out-of-country resources. Right. So um, we're really ex- – one of our achievements is that we've, we advocated well with a petition to the Legislative Assembly of Ontario back in 20 oh – gosh, I think it was 2014, 2015, I'm sorry, um, where we um, had a petition of 8,000 signatures to say we need care for EDS people. And that was specifically for neurosurgical care. But overall, there was the the advocacy effort was to have improved clinical care for people that have EDS. And so the Ontario ministry were great. They formed a leadership panel um, and they did a evaluation review of what the needs were and from that, there was two. There are now two EDS clinics in Toronto: one at SickKids, one at Toronto West Toronto General Hospital. 
Um, so that's better, but the reality is EDS affects people in every province, in every region, and not everybody has access to attend the GTA and add COVID. That's not, it's not happening as, as much as it should, right? Absolutely. And then, and then at one in a thousand people, one clinic that's funded for however many clinic days isn't going to meet that need. Mm-hmm. And in the neurosurgery side, that question has not been answered yet. Having said that, we are working on addressing the gap in that area. And I'm feeling hopeful that the collaborations on the advocacy side will um, support a change in that area. Well, I commend you for your work. And um, you're obviously touching the lives of so many people that have not been helped properly or to the full extent that they need it. If people wanted to reach out to you and to find out more about ILC, where would they be looking? So our website, number one, so uh, that's the ilcfoundation.org. Um, and they can call, uh, e- email me. Uh, we'll connect, I'll connect them with whatever, would, in whatever area their interest is. And um, yeah. So I think, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, when we talked earlier, May is the awareness month for you. Is that correct? Yes. And so what are you doing through the month of May to, to further your efforts to draw more attention to, to what you're doing? So we're going to be launching a campaign um, to support EDS Awareness Month. That campaign is for awareness. It's also for fundraising. So we're actually going to be quite bold. We're going to um, launch a GoFundMe account, uh, campaign to raise $3 million dollars. $1 million is to secure sustainable funding for the growth of the ILC programs to meet the prevalence of need. $1 million will be to establish our research um, trust fund so that we can support studies to better understand EDS and the related conditions, including, of course, chronic pain. And for instance, funding a study to develop diagnostic and treatment criteria for tools for family physicians who struggle to meet the needs of these patients, that would go a long way. And um, to having the funds that could support a study to understand if patients have enzymes or proteins to metabolize pharmaceuticals, which is a critical question when we think about the opioid crisis in Canada, especially for the chronic pain patient that is not drug-seeking, but instead wanting to have a quality of life with pain relief. Mm-hmm. And other important research studies would be to on how dysautonomia or mast cell activation occur with people in that have EDS. And then $1 million to support the hiring of a neurosurgical chair that will take on the interest um, or to support that person who um, can meet the needs of people who live with these rare diseases or considered to be rare diseases who don't have access to this area of care. And so that's what our campaign is. And during that whole month, we'll have doctors who are going to um, do talks on what is EDS and give a better, a deeper explanation of that to raise awareness. Patient experience stories will be told. 
Uh, there'll be several YouTube videos that will be launched to support the campaign. Um, yeah. Well, Sandy, I, I commend you for all that you do. Um, I have learned something again, again, from my guests, I've learned something that I didn't know anything about. And I thank you on behalf of everybody that is is coming to you for the work that you do. And I wish you nothing but the best of success, not just in May, but moving forward with everything you do. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity um, to, to talk with you today. Um, this is such an important topic. And even when you think about the federal government mandated national pain task force for a national pain strategy. There's soon to be an announcement coming out from the federal government on that. And ILC's involvement in, you know, the chronic pain care forum with McMaster and um, the national pain network, uh, the chronic pain network, these, all of these efforts of the different groups across the country um, where we're all contributing to the materials used and advocating for the dedication to support a national pain strategy is so important, right? Absolutely. So anybody, if you're interested uh, in talking to somebody at the ILC in contacting the association um, on our podcast, you'll have all the information. If you want more information about the show that I can filter out to you, certainly email us. It's a, such an important an important thing that we really should be made aware of. And I wish, as I said before, I wish you nothing but the best, Sandy, in uh, your endeavors in May and moving forward. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.